This is Tectonic, a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology, culture, and the digital age. Hello, I am Joe Darnell, and you're listening to episode number 37. And with me is our guest, Mr. Jelly, also known as Daniel Forelli. How are you doing, Daniel? I, I am quite good, uh, although I am going to be the, the terrible guest and tell you that my last name is pronounced Farrelly, not Forelli, but that's okay. Oh, that's nice. Okay. You, you're you're American, so that you know we'll let it we'll let it slide. Okay, so one more time again for everybody who wasn't listening. <laughs> uh, Daniel Farrelly. Farrelly. Okay, mm. it's tricky, and you're right. It has something to do with my Americanese because my last name is Darnell, and I've gotten Darnell, I've gotten Darnell, mm. I've gotten mm. some weird stuff, Darnell, and people always do a double take because in America. It's a common first name, especially among African Americans. Ah, right. And yeah, and I'm like, yeah, no, it's my last name, and there's no correlation. So Farrelly is uh, like a really common, like, well, not really common. I mean, it's no Smith, but it's it's a fairly common Irish surname. And I mean, there are obviously different variations on a similar with the same kind of name thing. I mean, there's the act, there's the actor Colin Colin Farrell. Oh yeah. It's exactly the same, but you put an E at the end. Farrelly. Yeah, Farrelly. Mm. Yeah, I get that now. Mm. Now now I'm just thinking that you're from Hollywood. You know, that's that's the mental image I have of you. That's an imprint now on what I see when I think of Mr. Jelly. <sighs> so, uh, can I call you Jelly? You can call me Jelly. Everybody calls me Jelly, with the exception of my mother. Nice. And possibly my dad. But, you know, my wife calls me Jelly. So the name has been around for a while then. Yeah, yeah. I've had I've had this name... We did an episode of Topical on this, but I've had this name since probably around 2003 or 2004. That's when it really kind of became a thing. And I've, I mean, I've just run with it. It's my, it's kind of part of my personal brand, mm. if you will. Yeah. Any of the nicknames that came along for my potential personal brand, I let die. <laughs> Most of them were just uh, not appealing, not something I wanted to stick around. The one I was really striving for when I was young and, uh, was I like to the name Woody? I wanted it to be Sheriff Woody from Toy Story. I always <laughs> loved the name Woody. Is there a snake in your boot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and some people said I resembled him and I was okay with that. But I had, I didn't have enough Tom Hanks qualities. I don't think it stuck. Mm. So, mm. well, we should explain what happened to my co-host. Joshua Pfeiffer is not with us again today because he's kind of in a transitional living space and <laughs> They don't have the internet connection just yet. Tomorrow, he's getting a modem, so he'll be back with us next week. Any uh, stories out there that Joshua is not returning are insane. He is a part of the show. He is my co-host, and I miss him. Joshua, get yourself back on the mic, man. Miss you. Until then, it's just going to be me and Jelly. And we're going to talk about iPads and iPad pencils and a little bit more about Jelly's background and what makes... I'm a designer and a developer and the like. Indeed. So you are a developer, right? Yeah, I'm both a web developer and an iOS developer. I started doing development uh, relatively early on, and I was mostly doing web stuff until the iPhone came out, which for those of us here in Australia was really the second one, the 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 three G. Was it the three GS? Oh, it was oh the 3G. yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. We only got that one because the first was US only. And when that came out, I was very excited by the prospect of creating things for, you know, for something that I could hold in my hand. And so I kind of started on that path. 
and here we are today. I do a podcast about it. I create an app that is reasonably well known, uh, GIF Wrapped, and I I do pretty well. I do pretty well, mostly on the mobile side. Your podcast about the mobile stuff is called Mobile Couch? That's correct, yeah. Okay, cool. I've listened to a few episodes, and I enjoyed it. It's pretty swell. Yep. And uh, but the show that I'm really stuck on is Topical, which you do with Russell Ivanovic. Yes, uh, he who is also a developer, although we try to steer clear as much as we can of the developer-y, like the more developer stuff. We started earlier this year and it was just really, I mean, it was supposed to be a show where we kind of debated certain topics, but it ended up being a show where we just kind of discussed them and talk about the ins and outs of various different things from everything from like uh, your nicknames all the way to heavy topics like stress and death and get a grasp on how how we feel about things and what we think about certain topics and, and that sort of thing. I'm really enjoying the, sh- the series for Topical because, well, for one thing, your both of your shows are under an hour, right? Yeah. So, Mobile Couch used to be, uh, I have a thing where I, what I, uh, that I call a theoretical limit. Um, Mobile Couch used to have a theoretical limit of an hour and it typically went for about an hour and a half, thus the theoretical. But these days... They're both under an hour. Mobile Couch usually runs for about 40 to 50 minutes these days. Uh, topical, we we refuse to let an episode out the door un- unless it's under half an hour. And there have been episodes where we've just scraped in. That's the rule. That's the rule. I don't know what your r- reason for the rule is, but I'm in the same boat because my shows I try to keep under an hour. I really enjoy shows. A lot of the shows I'm subscribed to go over that, over 90 minutes. Mm. And I like them for what they are. But usually by the end of the show, I can't remember the the first half. And I just don't like that experience coming away with just a few tidbits out of a huge show where lots of things were discussed and it couldn't be focused enough that I could get some really great takeaways because there's just too much to take away. And so I try I try to keep it dense. Yeah. We keep it short or two. Yeah. So with Topical, we found that we wanted to talk, keep it short. Like we specifically went into it saying that we were going to take, keep it short. Our very first episode, episode zero, because developers and arrays was an episode about what we were going to do with the show. And one of the things that we said was we're going to keep it, you know, 20, 25 minutes. And that's pretty much comes down to people want like a short show because not everybody has, you know, two hour commutes. That's right. Most people have like, what, 20 minute commutes, really? Yeah. And so we've had a lot of comments that, you know, that people love the show because it's short. It gives them something that they can listen to all in one thing. It kind of limits us in in many ways. We don't typically delve very, very deeply in, into some topics where they're, you know, quite broad, but it also means that we we, we try and cover off everything in as short amount of time. And so we're not sitting there just shooting the breeze and wasting people's time with repeating or, or anything like that. Yeah. And I like, I like what you do. I like your editing. I like the feel of the show. Your conversations are good. Thank you. Anybody who wants to get those can get the links in the show notes for this episode of Tectonic. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, Jilly, was because you are interested in technology and you're using these things professionally I don't really know any of any particular apps or websites I've stumbled across that you may have had a hand in. Anything you want to mention? So the one app that I really, really, really do uh, that most people, uh, many people know, um, is GIFWrapped. So GIFWrapped is an app that allows you to collect and share animated GIFs. It's a serious app, everybody. 
No, it's an app that I'd never really thought would go anywhere, but somehow, probably because people have actually, you know, helped share it and people have enjoyed it, seen quite a few hands these days. That's the main app that I do. I, I do one or two others partially for other people, but that's really what I do. I do a lot of things. I do so, so many things. Development and, uh, I guess, design in that respect as well. I'm a developer. I'm a designer. I'm an illustrator. I write. I play music. I am many, many things. For, uh, I guess I'm a creative all-in-one if, if I'm allowed to call myself that. Yeah, I do the same. I don't really talk about it much on the show, but I am more of a creative guy than I am a tech guy, really. Yep. And my background has a lot to do with writing, fiction, and nonfiction, a lot of writing, but it's mostly been for personal use and sharing with friends. And then over time, I've gotten more into the blogging thing, but I don't have an awful lot of time to blog because I have outlets like this. I have podcasts and born out of a lot of my professional work because in the past, I was an audio editor and video editor. I just enjoy making things like podcasts a little bit more than say, making stuff in Photoshop, but I do the stuff in Photoshop for my day job. And I've gotten a lot of positive experience out of that because it doesn't really feel like work to me. Mm. And hours spent in sketch or designing websites and, and logos and the like, it's just a real joy to do anything sort of that's creative in general. Yeah. So I, I feel you. I'm not really into music and I'm not as much of a uh, pencil sketch artist as I was when I was a teenager, but I, I still enjoy this stuff. And my daughter's coming along. She's taken an interest in pencils and in, in any kind of art, really anything crafty that she can do with her hands. Mm. I'm coming alongside of her and showing her things and techniques. And it's really fun to work out some doodles and sketches with her from week to week. I love sharing that sort of stuff with the people around me. I've, I don't have kids of my own, but I have, I have a goddaughter and she has a couple of sisters my wife and I, we love spending time with them and their family and teaching them how to draw. My goddaughter is essentially a, a micro version of myself, is into comics, is into uh, Spider-Man, is into dinosaurs and all that sort of thing. You know, so, so drawing and stuff like that, it's, it's not only something that I do professionally. I do artistic commissions. I do all that sort of stuff. I've done a comic before and all that sort of thing. But it's, it's something that I enjoy doing and I enjoy sharing with people around me. And, it, you know, everybody loves to be drawn. So these days when you're drawing or you're, you're just making illustrations or you're doing anything creative, do you feel like it's for yourself or is it more as a professional outlet or both? I mean, like you've already described the relationship with your goddaughter and it seems like you get a lot of the, the experience for creativity out of a personal outlet as well as the professional, but which one do you think is like really ruling the roost do you feel more of like internally you're the professional artist or the whimsical hobbyist that just makes it for himself and uh, seeks to add to the world your so own self-expression I, I guess it's probably the, the personal thing um <laughs> which is not a bad thing i, yeah, I completely yeah. understand there's there's two sides to this and i i'm in favor of both yeah I mean, one of the reasons that, I mean, I work as an independent mostly. I do some client stuff, but my focus is very much on uh, my own things. And so, um, things like the the podcast artwork for, for the couple of podcasts that I do and the podcast that my wife does, that artwork I like is, is, is my work. I do a lot of uh, illustrations for myself. My wife and I, when we got married, 
all of the design work for everything had to be designed was done by me and and features my illustration work, uh, like a giant illustration that hangs now in my living room, uh, which is an illustration of my wife and I flying through the air in a TARDIS. The background of the illustration is filled with things that we love and enjoy. So it's a very personal thing for me. It's something that I really enjoy doing. But at the same time, I... I get commissioned to do illustrations for people. I've drawn everything from uh, from a picture of dinosaurs in like a hilly landscape to uh, Yoda teaching a guy how to golf in Cloud City. <laughs> so there's that. And what was the idea behind that one? Was it inspired on fan fiction or something for a Comic-Con? The person who commissioned it, their partner was is a big golf fan, loves golf, loves playing golf, and also a big Star Wars fan. And in fact, their birthday is May the 4th. So they asked for kind of a mashup of between those things. And after putting together some ideas, what they liked and stuff like that, we came down to playing golf in Cloud City and having Yoda there to teach to golf. It, it was an interesting thing to draw. Yeah, it was cool. You can see the idea behind it. There, there, I'll, every now and then when I just want to boost my creativity and relax for a second, I'll visit websites like Dribble or DeviantArt yep. and Peruse. I got some favorite subscriptions and oh, I'm never disappointed. There's always something creative and interesting out there. And oh, yeah. some of the commissions are just like that. They're they're interesting. Never would have thought they would come along. It's like, really? Huh. Didn't see that commission coming along. But sure, whatever floats your boat. Exactly. So then with all of this under your belt with artistic skills, design skills, computer skills, you got the the jobby job and you take care of things as a self-employed individual. You're a freelance designer and coder at this time. Yeah, and mostly independent. Like I, I work predominantly on GIF wrapped and uh, I've got other other projects in the timeline. But I do, like that said, uh, I mean, in, indie development is a very hard thing to stay afloat. So I do, I do, do uh, contract work as it pleases me or as I need to. Like I said, I'm a, kind of a menagerie of things. So there are many things. So then at this time, what does your routine look like as an indie developer, uh, a guy who fends mostly for your first-hand projects, and who's also taking care of client work? What does a day in the work life look like? Week to week, I can vary. And in fact, day to day can vary. So my wife's podcast has a screening coming up on the, uh, the this weekend. Uh, they're going to do a uh, an episode where they talk about the new Star Wars movie, and they're also holding a screening of that. So... There's a lot of things that are kind of you know related to that that I need to get done. I, I consider the podcasts that I do my, part of my you know my everyday work, even my wife's, and so I've been doing illustrations for her. That was yesterday. Today I have client thing that I'm just kind of trying to finish up before the end of the year. So that's I mean it differs week to week. I'm very I'm fairly flexible in in many ways, but I will start with figuring out what I've got to get done that day, what I've got to get done that week, what things are coming up, what deadlines are coming around, uh, and then kind of approach it like that. But development is and uh, illustration and everything is at least half of the work is just kind of thinking about it, and so. You know, some of my time is not actually just spent in Xcode. Some of my time is spent doodling things on paper or just kind of getting ideas out, especially for the projects that I'm trying to get off the ground. It can vary in many, many ways. I can relate to that a lot because I actually have a lot of work between like May and the beginning of December because a lot of my clients produce products with the end of the year in mind. They make a lot of holiday sales. Yep. And then it's right now between this time and say May again, 
when I have more free time for my personal projects, and that's a good time of the year for me to start podcasts and to rebuild websites and to do special things like that. So it was back in this past January, I launched the coffee podcast and it was in May, uh, sorry, March, I started this one. So yeah, just uh, I find more time of the year. It goes in cycles. Yeah. I enjoy having the flexibility like you to work on the podcasts alongside of my design work yep. because like so many other people, I, I really need the variety in the day to day. That's one of the reasons I like this moment in technology where we can get work done on personal computers as well as use web apps or desktop apps, or we can use you know, iPads or phones to get different kinds of work done. And so many of the mediums now are overlapped and used together. So we have audio content right alongside of programs and articles, written article content. Like I just love this, this mashup for the creative professional where we get to use all the mediums and all the things in variety of different ways from week to week. And so it sounds like you have a very similar experience professionally where you get to always keep things engaging. And I really like that. Yeah, I, it's definitely something that, you know, that I find I can be working on anything from drawing to coding to, you know, having meetings to being in a different you know city for, for, for whatever reason. It's a great kind of time for that because, I mean, not only can I work from, you know, work from my office at home, I can work from the couch if I need to. Or, I mean, I did some illustration work the other day while I was sitting at a dentist's office. It's a really great time and the the tools are kind of at this point in time allowing you to be a bit more mobile, about a, a bit more flexible with where and when you get your work done. I can get up and I can start work at 11 o'clock and it doesn't make any difference to anybody else. And it's the tools and the ability to, to do that that really kind of shape my day, I guess. So then what are the tools that you use to get your work done? A lot related to this, maybe tangentially, is where do you get your work done? Like you said, you did some work at the dentist office. Do you work away from home much? I don't typically work away from home much. I do. I do sometimes. I have worked from like coffee shops and like I said, the dentist office. I, I do tend to prefer working from my office at home, mostly because it has a lovely setup with a couple of external monitors. That said, I mean, it, it can kind of depend on the type of work that I'm doing because software wise, there are different needs. If I'm working on a web project, I'll be using things like Panic's Coda and I'll probably have a web browser open like Chrome. I'll also have, you know, things like, uh, you know, my documentation open up in another window on somewhere else. And I need to have, if it's a client gig, I might have my mail sitting open just in case they need to send me an email or something like that. Um, there, are, there, are, there are different needs for different things. With illustration, I just need Photoshop and I just need to be able to, you know, put pen to, pen to screen, I guess, um, or pen to paper if, if I want to go old school. The, the work that I was doing in the dentist office the other day, was it was it was illustration work so i was doing some kind of refinements on an image uh that i wanted to get out the door uh but i've done you know i've sat in a sat on a, at a table in the middle of a, a shopping center and done a bit of coding and i've you know i've actually sat at a coffee shop and done coding work and i've spent weeks a couple of weeks in sydney um fairly recently within the last couple of months where I mean, I was away from home for two whole weeks and uh, working from their office. I had all of my equipment that I needed with me. I use a MacBook Pro. I don't have a, a desktop Mac that I just hook in. I can you know go to a completely different city and everything is still with me. Hmm. 
And so at this point, you're mostly using an all Mac setup. Do you ever have a reason to explore Windows for code development? Uh, these days, not so much. Um, I used to work predominantly in Windows. And then I think okay, I think about the time that I was able to afford a Mac is when I switched over to a Mac. And I've never, ever really looked back on occasion when necessary, uh, when super necessary, like, for example, when Age of Empires came out on Steam, set it up so that I can boot camp into, into Windows. Mm. But that's fairly rare. That's fairly irregular. One of the biggest things about web development, as any web developer will really know, is Internet Explorer is a pain. Fortunately, uh, Microsoft has kind of recognized that these days. And so, they actually release virtual machines with various different versions of Internet Explorer, um, kind of pre-configured so that you can just drop them into a, like, whatever virtual virtual machine I don't know, parallels or whatever, yep. essentially just run a, a version of Windows right there within within macOS so that you can kind of make changes to your websites and stuff like that and make sure that they're IE compatible. So now that you've been completely absorbed by the Apple space and you're using Macs, are you primarily a Mac guy or do you use iOS as much as you use your Mac? I think primarily for my work, I use uh, I use macOS, especially because, I mean, most of, my, like a good chunk of my work is development related. Uh, and even, uh, and a good chunk of that work is iOS uh, development. And Xcode don't run on iOS right. yet. Yeah, there really is nothing quite like that on the iPad just yet, even the iPad Pro, mm. which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Yeah. So, most of my work on iOS has to date been relatively simplistic. I've had things like transmit and prompt both from panic, which allow me to like log into web servers and make quick changes on the fly. I mean, I have a six plus note, the absence of the S, which makes me sad. Uh, <laughs> I have a six plus, which I use day to day. But I mean, even on the six plus, the keyboard is kind of not really designed for doing coding work. So, it's typically very basic stuff that I do you won't find me developing a, an entire website on, on iOS. But that might change with the iPad Pro. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. We're getting closer to that time when the coders will be able to seriously use iPads to do iOS work. But yeah, it's not quite arrived. I can wait because it, it, it's better that Apple isn't gung-ho about it and introduces software that, that really isn't ready for the market yet, right. not ready for the professional users. I'm hoping that this is a good sign that they are co concentrating on Swift right now. And when they know that that's good and ready, then they're going to turn their attention to code over at the iPad Pro and the like, where it's like, okay, now that we're ready for the next generation of code development, now let's let this become available features for the, the iOS setup. Hopefully, that's what they're thinking as well. Hopefully. I think you may be a little bit optimistic. Yeah, maybe too organized, too strategic. They do tend to seem like lately they might be a little bit thinly stretched. I do agree with the whole idea that they have a tendency to not release things until, they're, until they feel that they're ready. Sometimes that means that magic mice might have a charging port uh, in a very awkward and X-rated position. Yeah. But- Mm-hmm. Overall, when they feel that it's right, that's when they release things. So, 
that kind of sucks from a user's perspective because it means that, oh, I have to wait, what, like four iterations of iOS before I get copy and paste? That That is the worst. But when it does kind of arrive, it arrives and it's right. Uh, well, most of the time, unless you're a magic mouse. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, what would you like to change about either your devices or just gear that you have, upgrades that you would consider Christmas is upon us. What would Jelly buy himself? What would Jelly buy himself? Jelly has gone to the Apple store many, many times. And I'm going to stop talking about myself in the third person. And I've I've gone to the Apple store many, many times and have looked at the new Magic Mouse and just kind of stood there for a few minutes and looked at the price and looked away here in Australia. So, I, I think it's like $99 in the US. Here in Australia, it's about 129 And it doesn't sound like there's a huge difference. Like, that's only like 30 bucks, but it's big enough that it kicks it over the $100 mark. And I think it's the $100 mark that is really kind of getting me. Mm. And there's a whole lot of, you know, philosophy about, you know, why that is. And I don't really feel like I need to go into that. But every time I look at the Magic Mouse, I'm like, yeah, it would be good to be able to just charge it. But $129 is a lot. <laughs> you know, I, I it, Yeah, it is going for $79 in the States. Oh, $79. Yeah, it's the Magic Keyboard that's going for $99. Oh, right. Yeah, they're, they're, there's like three different prices for the three different Magic accessories. And isn't it wild that they still sell the old Mighty Mouse? I mean, I see that in stores and I'm like, come on, really, guys? Sometimes you need cables. Well, I mean, I, I have cabled uh, keyboards, which you can still buy uh, in store. I hope that they sell that or at least an approximation of that until the end of time because I love the number pad. I love the number pad so much. Man, I can't imagine to have not having that option. I have it on my iMac. Yeah, the numeric pad is pretty awesome. Mm. And all those extra F keys, mm. wouldn't want to live without them. Yep. But that, that future is fast approaching. Uh, this is getting depressing. <laughs> you were supposed to say what you would like for Christmas. Oh, what would I like? For- <laughs> but you got to the Magic Mouse too, and that inappropriate port. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, I don't know that there's anything like that. I super super want for Christmas. I, I think the iPad Pro has kind of satiated me in many ways. I can see it filling that void. Yeah, it, it, it's good for that space. Yeah, it's it's certainly something that is kind of playing into my personal and professional thing. And like I said. I'm filling the void. Well, then about that iPad Pro, mm. we'll talk about that now. Okay. What, what do you What do you like about the iPad Pro now that you've had it a little while? I mean, just like first thoughts, like you know, what do you, what really grabs you about this iPad versus the others, or is it really just a rollover that this does everything you liked about the iPad previous generations only better? You know, do you like it for the same qualities or for new characteristics? So, I think it's all about the new characteristics. <sighs> I've had previous iPads. Like, I bought one of the first iPads, that they, the, the, the iPad 1, I guess, chunky thing that it was. And uh, I think I upgraded at, at some point to the, the third generation um, I, iPad, which I believe was the first Retina iPad. And then when the Mini came out, I got a Mini. But then that was really the last time that I had an iPad until now. And that's a few years back now. Like, I think we're up to like the fourth mini. So, it's, it's, a, it's a while ago. Yes, we are. Yeah. The thing about the iPad is, is that I could never find a real use for it. Looking back, I, I think I know why. It's because, I mean, I love my 6 Plus. I love the size of it. It's perfect for being able to pull out and show you know, an illustration to somebody. And it looks amazing because, you know, high pixel screen. 
the iPad though, it wasn't, it was never right. For, like I, I never felt right using it. I, I typically found that I would use it in the mornings. I'd check my email or stuff like that. And eventually over time, it just kind of like I stopped doing that. I stopped using, you know, using it for Twitter and that sort of thing. I stopped using it for all of the reasons that you would use an iPad or, or that I was, you know, could see an iPad in my life. Uh, and I started kind of drifting back to using the phone all the time. And that was before I even got the 6 Plus. That was back in iPhone 5 days with its tiny screen and its tiny keyboard. But now looking back, I realize what I wanted. I, like, I, I did want a larger screen. I did want a larger device, but it was too much to carry both a phone and an iPad. I could never kind of justify that. But the mini just kind of got relegated to I took it places because it had a pretty good data plan on it and use it to tether to my computer because it was kind of convenient. Eventually that, I mean, even that went away. I got a pretty good data plan on my phone. And so I, you know, started using that for tethering instead. And so now the iPad is essentially a development device. So going into like buying the iPad Pro was a kind of a difficult decision for me. Like, you know, I heard about the pencil and I was cautiously excited about the idea. As an illustrator, it sounded like it would be amazing. And I was hearing lots of great things from Apple took it around to places like Pixar and got them to try it out. And they were saying pretty good things. Well, and for the record, you've been using your computer and set up with a Cintiq for sketching and digital digital illustration for some time now. Yeah. So you're no stranger to a stylus. Yeah, I'm definitely no stranger to a stylus. I, I've been using a Cintiq since, uh, I want to say 2011. I've been using that for a really long time um, to do illustration work. You know, in tech years, that's eternity. You know, getting the Cintiq changed everything that I like that I was doing. Suddenly, I was able to essentially just draw on my computer. And unlike tablets, which I've also used, like Wacom, just tablets without a screen in them, there's no kind of separation between what you're doing and what you're seeing, which I could never get my head around. Like, I've got to draw, but I don't look at what I'm doing. I got to look at the screen, which is you know you know miles away, and uh, and just kind of try and get it. Yeah, I had the same problem. I think I would have adopted a Wacom tablet a long time ago if I could have seen it where my pen was touching. Yeah, yeah. Like I did a little bit, but it it was a lot more kind of uh, like I would sketch you know on a physical you know on physical paper and do everything else using a tablet. With the Cintiq, I was able to bring everything kind of in digitally and I get the Cintiq out and I do all of my illustration on the computer without having to, you know, do the physical stuff. The downside of that, though, is that the Cintiq is a hulk of a device. It has a cable that I lovingly refer to as a baby's arm. It's fairly thick and kind of not something that you can bend particularly easily. I mean, I don't go around trying to bend baby's arms. <laughs> That's there. <laughs> Good for the record. <laughs> Just in case anybody is wondering. So, sitting it on my, like, and I can't take it away from the computer. Like, I have to be at my desk in order to use it because uh, it has an external box that you have to plug into. Uh, you have to plug that then into, like, you know, as a, as a monitor as well as uh, into the USB in order to be able to uh, hook everything up and get everything working. And then it acts as an external monitor. It's clunky and it's large and it's, I love my Cintiq. It obviously has done amazing things for the, you know, my ability to get illustration done, but it doesn't work for being able to like, I can't sit on the couch and watch TV and just draw. Can't go and work somewhere else because otherwise I'd have to bring all of the extra equipment along. 
it, it sounds horribly like first world problems, but it's the sort of thing that stops you from using it regularly. And so the Cintiq was doing amazing things for my ability to draw when I had illustration to do, but I wasn't just illustrating on a whim. I couldn't just whip it out and, you know, draw something because it meant it, ha- it had a whole setup process that I had to go through in order to use it. I found that that was enough to kind of make me think twice about it. A few years ago, I was really jazzed about the 27-inch HD monitors from Wacom, and I used some at a tech show, a media show. Yeah. And what was so great about it was the experience of seeing it on something that was actual size, that was on display. It was really an immersive drawing experience. Mm. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but it does make a world of difference when you're trying to get past the technical issues of what you're using and just allow for your creativity to reign. Oh, absolutely. For you to, to produce the best ideas. Yeah. You get hung up when the technical issues get in the way of your focus and your focus is what your, well, your focus is on isn't supposed to be the technical issues. Your, your focus is supposed to be the liberation of, of your mindset of creativity and communication or developing that product that's going to serve some customer out there in a unique way. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so often is the case, these pens, these solutions, these various input devices with all their cables and their restrictions or just their interfaces in general are so restrictive in ways that are unfriendly to the creative professional and to the casual user as well. Though the technology was just doing the best it could do for the longest time. And so I don't think anybody begrudged Wacom or other companies that have these kinds of devices because they were bringing to market and still are the best that was out there. Oh, absolutely. I'm just happy to see, though, that it looks like with something like the iPad Pro, even if it's not yet, quote, arrived, they are pushing the envelope a little bit Mm. with what they're introducing with the pencil because, oh, like you say, you have this new liberation that you can go mobile with how you're doing the illustration. And that is something that the other providers have not been able to find solutions for until now, as effective as this. Not saying it's the perfect solution, it's just a better solution, maybe? So it's, I mean, it has its ups and downs. And it's not to say that there aren't other solutions out there that allow you to kind of separate. As an example, I know of at least one illustrator that is uh, using a Microsoft Surface it has the ultimate benefit of because it runs Windows, it allows you to you know use Photoshop or whatever other drawing tool that you've always used. I mean, the iPad differs though because the pencil is, as far as styluses go, quite amazing. Like it is really really nice. And Wacom stylus is is you know it's good. And I mean the fact that you don't have to charge it, which is kind of nice, but it's also got kind of downsides in that it's it feels flimsy it's uh, it's probably mostly if not all made of plastic I, I feel like the pencil is what really kind of makes the ipad pro shine as an illustration device one of the kind of major things about the ipad pro and the pencil versus say like a wacom or some other kind of you know professional device is that is exactly that those those devices wacoms you won't see regular people drawing with them Imagine that you've got a daughter and she's, you know, she loves drawing. It's really amazing. 
are you going to go out and buy a fourteen, fifteen hundred dollar Cintiq for her computer so that she can really kind of further that stuff? I would assume that as a general rule, probably not. Mm. Yep, you assumed right. On the other hand, at the moment, the iPad Pro is roughly equivalent in price, but assume that Apple's plan is to bring it to the other iPads and all of a sudden drawing digitally becomes a thing that is somewhat in reach of regular people. People that have iPhones and iPads suddenly can draw directly on their screen and it, and it feels really nice. I mean, obviously, you can do that with you know the third-party styluses and they're kind of okay, but they're not great. The pencil is like far and away one of the better styluses that I've ever used, both for iOS devices and not for iOS devices. It's it's really, really nice. It has a nice weight. It's a great pen. It does the whole thing where it feels like a pencil in many regards. That's the sort of thing that you give your daughter an iPad for Christmas and, you know, here's a pencil and I want to see what the drawings, the amazing drawings that you do. It's not a professional device anymore. You don't have to go out and spend thousands of dollars on this device in order to be able to use it. And then it takes all the setup and all all the techie things that can't come along with that. And so, it's not just an illustration tool for professionals. Mm. It's an illustration tool for everyone. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but you're right because Apple isn't marketing it necessarily to professionals. Yeah. But the professionals feel like it's their pencil. Mm. It is their stylus and it has finally come. But I think that most people who wander into the Apple store just say, oh, look at that. Apple has added this great new thing, this great new accessory to an iPad. Well, what do I make of iPad? Well, Either you're that customer who previously ignored iPads because they didn't have that one thing that would push you over the edge to pick one up. Yep. And now you have it because you can share this with your children. You can use this for yourself. Or you are that professional who's like, you know what? I have been using the iPad. I found ways to use it either for consumption or my productivity that I find valuable and good to use. And this is just the best selling feature ever because like you said, it feels more, more or less natural. It doesn't feel like you're, you're just your common stylus where there is a learning curve that you'll never quite get over. It doesn't quite feel right. There's this funny tip. There's this funny plastic thing on, on the device or, or whatever, what do they call it? The, the delay yeah. between what you sketch and when it appears on screen in the way it's supposed to appear. Yep. It's really smooth. It's not perfect, but it's much closer now. So you wrote a review about this jelly on your site and you compared it closely to your 12-inch Cintiq. Yeah. You feel like there's a place for both depending on preference, really, more so than necessarily like features. Yeah, I think I think it definitely comes down to mostly preference. Not everybody has the same needs. Not everybody wants to be able to draw on the couch. Just like everybody else does their work. They go to an office, they do their you know, they do their illustration and then they go home. That kind of matters to some people. And it's certainly the sort of thing where size can kind of come into play. I don't think Apple's going to be making a 27-inch iPad anytime soon. I uh, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but uh hmm. it seems it seems <laughs> unlikely. It seems unlikely. There are much larger Wacoms out there. You know, there are reasons why you might want a, a larger one uh, to be able to get, you know, uh, technical drawings done easily or, or, or something along those lines. And 
there are going to be certain circumstances where the iPad doesn't necessarily work for everyone. And I think that's fine. Like there, there is still a place in the world for other devices and that sort of thing. Yeah, there's still room for iPad Airs. Yeah. And there's still room for minis. Yeah, yeah, yeah ex- exactly. It's a very similar vein to that. It's a very similar reasoning. So it is okay if you use Android. People will probably shun you, but I mean, it actually doesn't matter in the long run. It's, it's your preference to use whatever you use. And in the review that I wrote, I kind of tried to outline the reasons why I like the iPad, why I find it's better in many regards than the Wacom is and worse because, you know, let's be fair, there are situations where the iPad kind of doesn't measure up because it's not really, really being thought through in that particular way. Then do you think that you're in the immediate future going to be using the iPad Pro over other iPads in general or mainly just for your illustration work? Hmm. The reason I ask is because I do find it appealing with that huge display to view other kinds of content. Yep. But at the same time, I'm more wary that it feels more fragile in the hand or mm. it's at a greater risk. You brought up earlier the 27-inch iPad. Like, holy cow. I was The first thing that came to mind was... <laughs> How are we going to stash the thing when we have to travel? What backpack is going to hold this? It doesn't, that doesn't work. Obviously, that is not happening anytime soon. But even if it did, let's just say it existed, who's got a, a bag, a satchel that they can put it in? Not anybody, really. And some people are still having trouble with where are they going to stash their iPad Pro? Right. That is a concern because a lot of the pouches you would assume, well, I can stuff it in here into my my notebook bag. You'll realize that the pouch is so large that your iPad Pro just like flops around in there. Or if it's a snug fit, then it wasn't probably made for its dimensions. Right. It was made for a smaller tablet. Yep. It's a catch-22. So I have a bag. I, I don't necessarily, I'm not super worried about the iPad kind of flapping about a little bit. I mean, I've got a smart cover on it, so I cover the screen up and that sort of thing. I have a bag which doesn't really carry, it's not really designed to carry a laptop. It, it might fit like a 13-inch, maybe. It's not really designed to carry a laptop. It doesn't have a specialized laptop pouch, but it fits the iPad Pro perfectly. It's it's beautiful and it's not a particularly big bag. I mean, I've been carrying it around in that. And if I need to carry my computer as well, the sleeve that I throw my laptop into has a pocket on the front, which also perfectly fits the iPad Pro. So for me, you know, carrying it around actually hasn't been too much of an issue. It might mean that in cases where I wouldn't have previously taken a bag with me because I wasn't, you know, needing to take my laptop, I have to carry a bag if, you know, I think I might want to get illustration done. Previously, that has kind of been a problem for me in regards to using the iPad. Like, I could never really find the, you know, find the use for the iPad in my regular life. But the illustration definitely kind of tips it over the line. And all of a sudden, it's a device that is, I think is worth having for my needs anyway. I, I guess there are probably three main uses that I, I found it falling into. And obviously, one of those is illustration. I have found that like, you know, sitting, uh, like sitting in bed and checking email and or if I need to very quickly... VNC into the you know into my computer so you know remotely connect to my laptop which is usually sitting at the desk I can jump on make changes it's very easy the keyboard is actually like the keyboard on the iPad Pro is actually almost a proper keyboard mostly because it has a numbers row at the top which no iOS keyboard to date has had the third use that I found for the iPad Pro is as a pip boy for Fallout 4 <laughs> because it's so big it's really easy to 
tap things uh whereas you know you know it's designed to be used on a phone but everything is so little all the buttons are so little and sometimes i'll be in the middle of like you know fighting off some bad guys and i need to really you know quickly you know up my health and it's just right there and it's huge so that was like one of the first uses that i i found for my ipad pro so you're getting not just the mileage out of it as a professional tool you you found enough reasons that you're going to use this thing from week to week and it's I don't want to overuse generalities, but it's like, this is your iPad. This is what you're going to use. Whereas other iPads didn't quite reach this mark. Yeah. Like the regular size iPads, I found like they were big and nice and all that sort of stuff. But I mean. And like you did experiment with them and yeah. you, you did try them. Yeah. You gave them a fair shake. Yeah, I, def- I definitely tried them. They were kind of heavy. This was back previous to the air. They were relatively heavy devices. It was just the sort of thing where by the time the year came around, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to carry around an iPad. Because the previous ones were so heavy, I'd stopped using them for any reason. And so when the iPad Air came around, it wasn't particularly interesting to me. And the, I thought maybe the, the Mini, when the Mini came out, that the smaller screen size might help. Because, you know, it's smaller, it's more portable. I can shove it in a particularly large pocket if I've got one. I'm no stranger to, you know, carrying ridiculously large things in my ridiculously large pockets it, it was the sort of thing where i thought maybe i can maybe because it's smaller i'll carry it around and it'll be more like a notebook in that respect and it just it, it also fell by, by the wayside and i mean that part might have partly been the the like the non-retina screen because it wasn't a, a retina one i don't really know and it's not the sort of thing that like, if i go back if i bought an ipad one of the retina ipads would that have changed i, I couldn't tell you but it turns out that the ipad pro because it's actually got a bigger screen and is more cumbersome to carry around you know, it replaces my need to carry around a notebook. I've, you know, taken notes when I've had meetings by, you know, scribbling on the screen. I carry it around and I don't, I don't mind that it's so big. It's actually really great to like show people some of my illustration work on because the screen is so big and it's just, it's huge and it looks great. Here in Australia, we use A4 paper, like international size paper. It's almost the size of an A4 piece of paper. So the other day when I was getting, you know, I'd done some illustrations for some posters for the screening that I mentioned is coming this weekend. I'd done some posters. They were roughly A4 in size and I could pretty much view them full size on the iPad. So good. They look so, so good. The smaller iPads, they couldn't really have done the same kind of given the same feeling. And I think I really feel like that's that's what kind of cinched it for me. And it sounds ridiculous and I may not even even be explaining it properly. No, it make, it makes sense to me. And I think that that's what we were sold on when we saw the first generation iPad. Mm. When I remember it was Scott Forstall in the marketing video was showing how here you're holding the iPad one second and you're looking at it for yourself. And then you flip it over and you show those you're with something that you have on the display and you can share it quickly. And it just, the screen quickly flips around and it orients to them and they can see things as well as you can, whereas that's something you really couldn't pull off with a much smaller device like your iPhone. Mm-hmm. Now you can do that with the first generation iPad. Well, I never really did that with the first generation iPad or the la- the later models because they were close, but not quite mm. where we needed it in scale. And I think that you're right. See, the iPad Pro feels gargantuan, but on the other hand, it's actually just, it's relatively close to your standard size printer paper. And for that reason, it feels natural to show it to people who you're with at the table or in the conference room or in the hall. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. And I don't mm. think, I don't think that it would have been, like if they had tried to pull this off back in the iPad 
three days. Like, you know, back when the iPads were quite heavy and large, you know, even though they were a you know small, thin device compared to most laptops, they were still fairly heavy. It, like carrying around like a heavy hardcover book as opposed to like a magazine. If they had tried the iPad Pro at that point, it would have been wrong because it would have been so large and so heavy that it would have been cumbersome to kind of carry around and it would have and it wouldn't have given you any better of an experience over say a regular laptop but the fact that they've you know the fact that they've gone through the iterations and done the iPad Air and all that sort of stuff i think that's where waiting if they indeed did wait then waiting is what really made it possible and also made it enticing i guess as a device i think that's going to wrap it up for the thoughts on the iPad Pro and the pencil Thanks, Jelly. That's really in-depth and thorough thoughts. The thing, the kind of things that was sort of like an unpacking of your written review on your blog, hmm. where you you talked a little bit more about the pencil in terms of your phys- the physical interaction with the thing, whether it was too long for slipping into your bag, whether it was too delicate, whether it was too precise, and the apps you're using for your illustration purchases or, or purposes. So anyone who wants to get more of Jelly's thoughts. I recommend you check out his article. It's going to be in the show notes. Jelly, I want to say thanks a bunch for joining me for this episode. This was really good. I'm I'm enjoying the iPad Pro. I don't have one, but I have used one several times. My brother is an insurance guy, and he uses one for his, his work all the time. When they need to get signatures down on a PDF, they whip out the pencil. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. I'm just seeing how it's being used in ways... People haven't even really discussed just yet on a podcast, so yeah, yeah. No, it's it's been it's been amazing, and it's certainly something that has kind of changed the way that I illustrate. I've found myself kind of drawn, uh, pun completely intended. I've found myself <laughs> drawn to illustrating more, you know, because it's the sort of thing that I can just do wherever I am. It doesn't matter. Like if I want to pull something out and sketch something down really quickly, I can totally do that. Uh, and previously I could have pulled out pen- paper, pencil and paper for that, uh, which I have done, but it's not as, uh, it, it, it carries a lot of a different, a lot of different meaning in that way. Doing it digitally means that it's, it's there. It's, I, I can get it later. It's not the sort of thing where, you know, with paper, it can, it, it tends to get lost in the pile that is my desk. It's been a, you know, a great thing for me. And I hope that other people are finding the same thing. Uh, I really do. So thanks, Jelly. For joining us we'll have to have you back because the ipad pro is going to be around for a while yet maybe we'll do a six month review or something next year absolutely follow up to to see what whether or not you're still using it or how many ipad pencils you've broken <laughs> well i'm always happy to come back i'm always happy and thank you for joining us for episode 37 of the podcast show notes are available at tectonic.fm slash 37 where you'll find the links to everything that we've discussed the show is at Tectonic FM on Twitter. I'm underscore Joe Darnell, and Jelly is at Jelly Bean Soup. And if you want to show your support for Tectonic, head on over to iTunes and give us a star rating. And if you want to send me an email, send that to Joe at Tectonic.fm. I have been Joe Darnell. Thanks for listening to Tectonic. Goodbye. There we go. That's a wrap. Nice. Mm Mm-hmm.